That's a good line. These lessons you learn might just be the first thing you share. That is, that's what we hope for these bumper videos, that they will just lead right into the, the story and what we're talking about. I'm so glad to be with you all this morning. And Randy, I appreciate uh, so much your prayer and your words and your friendship. And um, I, I try to say every so often, uh, but I try to say it well and effectively because I'm remembering the gentleman in the community I grew up in who would always tell my dad every time he saw him, my dad was a preacher as well, he would say, Reverend, how's your business? And it just kind of stuck, you know, every time. But there's the reality that, yeah, we're up here asking you to consider your tithes and offerings and how you give them. And um, our desire is that we will be about the things that this church feels God calling us to be about. And we'll be, we will be about them in such a way, we will do ministry in such a way within our church and outside of these walls, as Randy just prayed, in such a way that you get behind it and you believe that God is pushing us, pulling us, leading us to do it in this way. And we pull our resources, time, treasures, talent together to do so. That's the goal. And that's what I pray this morning. Your heart is uh, inclined to feel about the ministry that our church is doing because it's a lot. And it's exciting. And it was good to hear from Danielle this morning and the work that continues to go on all around the world. More to say about that, but this morning we are in Luke 24 again. And we are continuing our three weeks in this, this big and uh, unable to be explored story in just three weeks. But it's Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus with two men who... If you remember last week when we looked at it, they don't immediately recognize Jesus, and they are actually prevented from recognizing Jesus, the text says, which this divine mystery that we see unfolding here. Um, much like Luke teaches us, the disciples, those traveling with Jesus, were prevented from recognizing or hearing, understanding what Jesus was trying to get them to understand all along the way in his journey, leading to his death on the cross and resurrection three days later, and now we're in this period of him appearing to those who traveled with him, who knew him, and blessing them with his presence post-death, post-resurrection, prior to his ascension, recorded in Acts chapter 1. So that's where we are today. Jesus is on this road, and we looked at this last week. We're looking at it again. If you remember with me, we defined gospel conversations. We, we define them this way. It's sharing the good news of Jesus with the lost and the searching and trusting the Holy Spirit with the results. Trusting the Holy Spirit with the results. So let's look at this story some more. But first, I think we need to identify a problem that I see uh, in my own life at times. And that's problematic because I'm actually, you know, <laughs> working with and for the church. But the problem is we don't often, too often, we don't know our story or how. We don't know our job or how we can do it. We don't know our story or how we can share it. I want to be careful with how I use the word job this morning. But I do want to use that word because that is what we are being called into here. We have a responsibility. I like the way Pastor Dean in Sarah, it's a pastor I follow out of Florida, really gifted communicator. The way he puts it or the way he put it recently, he said this, the God-sized dream for your life is the Great Commission. All Christians have the same occupation. It's just carried out in different 
vocations. And then he says, let's go. Literally, like, let's go. Huh, get it going? That fell flat. It's okay. <laughs> it's funny, when I wrote that or when I was, when I was you know, connecting that quote with what I was studying this week, I had in my mind just a, a few things the kids are saying these days. I'm 41 now. I'm no longer a kid. And so the slang, uh, it, uh, I miss it at times. So when Oksana uh, calls me bougie, I don't know what that means, and I have to look it up. And I don't, I don't know if it's mean or she's not mean. Oksana's rarely, you know, never mean, but she calls me that, and it doesn't sound pleasant, so I need to look that up and figure out what it means. There's a, there's a, what Sarah was saying here with let's go, it's kind of a sports uh, term. My son, Howell's got a sweatshirt that uh, it says let's eat on it, and then eat is an acronym with... Uh, Effort, attitude, togetherness. Is that right, Howell? Pretty close. And so that's what he said, no. Okay, I'll get back to you on that. It is E-A-T. And so this idea that let's, you know, let's eat, let's go, let's, let's do well, let's beat the other team, I don't know. But let's go is something that the kids say, and you put 12 O's on the end of go. And it's supposed to be encouraging for us to get out there and go. It's a good word for us this morning because we're talking about gospel conversations. Now, if you've been in the church forever, like I have, this makes sense to me. I, I have all, I told you last week, I have always had it written on my heart the way God has called me to ministry to go out and I care whether or not somebody knows Jesus. But I've met plenty of Christians who are not as, you know, forthright. They're not as comfortable. I'm not always comfortable having gospel conversations. They're not always comfortable. And so I've heard the testimony that, well, I don't necessarily want to go do that. I'm good with believing and and living a good life and just going about my business. It's not, that's not bad. There's a lot of people in the world that if they would just do that, it'd be a lot better place to live in a lot of ways. But we are actually, these three weeks and every other week, we believe we're called to, to more than that. That our job, our responsibility, includes more than that. And this will get us out of our comfort zone. And it reveals the problem that often we don't know our job or how to do it. So this conversation about gospel conversations, the amount of time and energy that we put into as a church, training, encouraging these to take place, this is all because we recognize that they are a big part of what Dean and Sarah is talking about here in his quote. They're a big part of what Jesus leaves the disciples with at the end of chapter 24. So in that sense, I think job is an appropriate descriptor. I don't know if we'll always be excited about it. I hope we will. I hope it just pours out of you to tell others about the gospel. But I'm reminded of a story I heard from Will Willimon, a Methodist minister who I've really enjoy reading, gifted reader and preacher. And he was down in Birmingham and serving a church there, and they had a, uh, a night where they fed the poor in the community. It was a literal soup kitchen. I don't know if I've told you this story before or not, but 
I, I've just never forgotten it. And he, he, he was a new pastor in the church, and this was a ministry that already existed. And he went up to the old gentleman, old, older, excuse me, older gentleman who'd been there a long time and served soup a long time at the, uh, at the soup, you know, ministry. And he just wasn't in a good mood that night. And after two or three different times at the student ministry, Dr. Willimon had been watching him, his, friend, his new friend, and he just was always not in a good mood serving the, the soup. And finally, Willimon worked up the courage to ask him, like, what, what's wrong, bud? You know, why aren't you, like, this is a good thing we're doing here. Why don't you, you know, perk up? He said, because I hate doing it. Dr. Willimon's like, well, why are you doing it? He said, because this is where God put me. That's what he told me to do. I respect that. I hope we can marry a great attitude with the ferventness that says that God has put me here to do this. But I recognize it might not always be the case. You've all been put somewhere in this world. We all have a vocation. My vocation is seems to me to be a lot about encouraging you in your places of work and ministry to have the gospel story on your mind and on the tip of your tongue along the way. And as a church, we are seeking, you heard Scott talk about in the video, our Discover Us, Discover You, we're seeking to help marry the gifts and abilities God has given you with those places of service. So hopefully you're not serving soup and hating it. And it's a little easier than that. So how can we do our job more effectively? Well, I have some thoughts. First, as we talked last week, we have to care whether or not someone has been introduced to the gospel, whether or not they've had the opportunity to know the gospel. So the first step, as you see, is to listen to their story. Now, that's our first step. I I hesitate to make this formulaic, but we do have good steps that we believe in. So I'm going to share those with you today in the course as we look at this text together. I'm reminded as we look at this first step, which is listen to their story. I'm reminded of a scene in a documentary I used to show when I taught Bible in a local high school called Jesus Camp. I don't know if you've seen that. It was made about 20 years ago, and it was, it was made to expose some of the inherent flaws in uh, the ways that we can um, share our faith in these gospel conversations. And it highlighted a specific church uh, in the Midwest that um, was doing a lot of training their children to go out and share the gospel. On one hand, I saw it as beautiful that we would have, from a very young age, as I learned to, to care whether or not somebody knew the gospel. But what the documentary showed was that, it's hilarious, somebody was calling to let me know that my car insurance is about to go out. (laughs) Or... Not car insurance. Warranty. We have no car warranties. They're not about to expire. Goodness gracious. In one of the scenes, a young girl just went up to a a man in the bowling alley, an adult, and just in about four sentences laid out the gospel. And I was torn watching it because, yeah, it, it showed what was probably terribly ineffective 
But it also showed a willingness. It showed her desire. Like she cared whether or not this person knew the gospel. But in this scene, she was reciting the lines that she knew. And she didn't, I mean, she was nine. She didn't have the capacity yet, I don't think, to listen to his story. It didn't seem like. So when I juxtaposed that part of the documentary with what we're talking about here, I realized that these gospel conversations were not encouraging callousness here. Not that she was being callous in my story from the documentary, but it came across that way. We want these to be genuine, organic, as we talked about last week. And one of the best ways for that to be able to happen is for us to listen to the story that we're hearing. Look at verse 15 in chapter 24 in Luke's gospel. It says, And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, Well, what is the dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happen in these days? And Jesus said, What things? What things? You see where he asks them to tell him. He invites them to tell him. It's pretty cool. I had a science teacher in middle school, Mr. Ellis. Mr. Ellis... uh, I don't remember a lot about seventh grade science. What I remember about Mr. Ellis was that he was very, um, we probably thought he was mean at the time. (laughs) He was just a strong personality. And that's what I remember, being afraid of seventh grade science, when in actuality he was probably a lot more kind and pleasant than what we all remember. But I remember what he used to say to me, or to all of us. He was very important that we read our work, read our textbook, that we were prepared for class. And he would say, Brandon, did you read it or did you just call the words? Did you read it or did you just call the words? Well, the same principle that Mr. Ellis was applying to our reading habits applies to our listening habits as well. Are we really listening? Are we really listening when someone is telling us their story? Jesus said, what things? And he listened. Are we really listening? I enjoy following Sean McCain, a priest near Austin, Texas. And he was recently talking about his journey, learning to meet and befriend folks with different perspectives, even from different faiths, different belief systems, and really hearing their point of view. He said the biggest challenge for him in learning to listen for understanding, learning to listen and not just get ready to defend or to be right, to really listen and listen again and again without fear or without threat. That was the key, listening. And he says we find God's kingdom in that work. And I find that beautiful. I remember a comedian, I can't remember who it was, maybe Brian Regan, Maybe not, but I remember years ago seeing this bit where he was talking about the way we listen to stories. And I am so guilty of this at times, and I try so hard. But you know how we're listening to a story, but while we're listening, we're thinking about the story we're about to tell. So we might not really be listening because we're getting ready to one-up the story that we're hearing. Now listen, 
exchanging stories is good. I'm not saying don't do that. It is fun. We need, and, and as we move into more conversations without masks, hopefully in the coming weeks, we will get to share our stories again, I hope, you know, in personal contact. But Regan was talking about a me monster, and I love that term. And the me monster is the person that doesn't hear what's being told to them because they are getting their story ready to tell. We've got to hear one another, y'all. We've got to be willing to listen to each other's stories. I recently had, recently had a difficult conversation with someone who I know loves me and I love them, but we did not see eye to eye on what we were discussing. And I tried to listen and I pray that the person felt heard. I did feel heard in this conversation. And you know what was interesting is that I, had, I still I have a really hard time I'm, I'm, I'm still putting together what I think about the conversation that we were having, my, my position, if you will, and how I can communicate what I believe about what we were discussing. I'm still working through it. And you know what? I may always be. Gospel conversations are, by and large, not quick. They are not designed to be. Now, sometimes they may have to be. I'm thinking of a young man named Daniel. I met Daniel in Costa Rica, San Jose, Costa Rica, in 1998. I was there on a mission trip, and we were there to play basketball and do clinics and work in the schools there and play some basketball games. And Daniel, I remember, I can still see his face. He was a good basketball player. He was 20 years old, and he was interested in what we were there for, what we were talking about. I remember Daniel liked... uh, Ricky Martin, the king of Latin pop, and he liked Michael Jordan a lot. And so we found common ground in our conversation there. I didn't know much about Ricky Martin, but I knew a lot about Michael Jordan. And so we discussed that, and that led led him to ask me my story, which is the second step to this gospel conversation strategy. We have to be willing to share our own story. And it was certainly cool to be asked by Daniel to share my own story. And I know some of his interest in my story was derived from who is this group of Americans who are playing basketball, who are in our country? Like, why are they here? As a student from the U.S. and Costa Rica hosting children's clinics. So he asked us, why would y'all come all this way? So we had this ready-made path into sharing our story and sharing the gospel. But Daniel seemed different to me. He seemed really interested in what I had to say. And, and, and he, he seemed to understand that what I had to share was really important to me. And this is where I would, ima- I would invite us to uh, imagine these gospel conversations really being more like gospel relationships or long gospel conversations, because maybe we have that luxury here at home. It's not something that has to be rushed. It can be shared over time. I'm not suggesting that someone coming to follow and be formed by Jesus is not urgent. I believe very strongly it is urgent. But we do have more time than just a few seconds here at home. There's no time like the present for someone to come to believe in Jesus and and, and attain eternal life. But this is a big conversation, right? We aren't sharing a good recipe here. It's much more consequential than that. We must handle this with care. Daniel and I had a finite amount of time together because I was leaving Costa Rica very soon. But we didn't leave. Daniel wasn't left with just the contents of whatever I was able to share with him in that short amount of time. 
He was left with the missionaries who were giving their lives to that area, like Danielle, who we saw earlier in South Africa. He was left with the church there in Costa Rica. The missionaries served alongside with the Costa Rican pastors and lay leaders. That was huge for me to see unfold at such a young age, that our gospel conversations can be continued by others, by the church. Do you see that? This is a team effort if there ever was one. And here at home, we have the luxury of taking our time, of of getting to know people, of building a relationship, a friendship, learning one another's stories over time. Do you know that by and large, when the word you, Y-O-U, is used in the New Testament, which is the story of the church becoming in those early days, in so many ways, when you is written, particularly in Paul's letters, it's plural so much more often than it is Singular. This is a team effort. Now, it may rub some skeptics the wrong way. We may be accused of having an agenda in our gospel conversations, and I do not like that aspect of this. That bothers me. And you know what? It bothers me because it's true. Whether or not (laughs) it's not true that I only want you to be my friend so that I can share the gospel with you. That is not true. And I hope that's not how you ever approach this. But it is true that we should have a desire from the start to connect our story when we get to share it with God's story, which is the third step here. Eventually, we must share God's story. And I would add that those of us following and being formed by Jesus, we shouldn't be able to separate our story from God's story. Our story is inextricably linked to God's story. So let's talk about God's story because that's exactly what Jesus does here on the road to Emmaus. Verse 25. He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Gospel conversations always get to the point where we share God's story. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we don't know what God's doing, y'all, in the present because we don't know what God has done in the past. We don't know what God is doing. We don't recognize what God is doing amongst us because we don't know, know what God has done. That is why we must know God's story. The two men on the road, God bless them, they did not understand God's story fully. They said in verse 21, these haunting words, but we were hoping that he was the one about to redeem Israel. We were hoping he was the one. We were hoping Their hopes should have been satisfied. Now, I'm not making light of this. In fact, I would go as far to say as those who were around Jesus when he, when he died, the, the resurrection, uh, even though he had told them about it, I think Scripture teaches us it, it, it felt too good to be true. That's why these two men jumped to this conclusion that we had hoped he was the one we were waiting for. We had hoped it felt too good to be true. But, y'all, God's story in the Bible is filled with examples 
of things that seem too good to be true. Abraham and Sarah, the very folks that that God birthed the nation of Israel from, were much too old to have Isaac. But they did. But it seemed too good to be true. Moses, who was the one God called to extricate the Israelites from Egypt, from the Egyptians, from the most powerful leader maybe the world has ever known, Pharaoh, had to go in and talk Pharaoh into letting his people go. You know the story. Moses didn't talk good. He was a mutterer. And he was called to do this. It seemed too good to be true. King David, Israel's greatest king, was probably the least likely of Jesse's sons to be called to such a post. It seemed too good to be true. And the disciples who we mentioned earlier, who did not understand, did not hear, did not comprehend what Jesus was trying to tell them along the way about how his story would culminate on the cross and in resurrection and in ascension. They're the ones that take the gospel into the world to start what it is we're continuing even today. Too good to be true. Well, not really. It's not too good to be true. There's a song that I love. It's by an artist named Jess Ray. It's titled, Too Good. I'm going to get to these lyrics in just a second, but the gospel is good news, y'all. That's what the word means. You know that, right? What we are sharing is good news. And, And I'm still learning the complexities of this, the fullness of what it is that we have to share. But the bottom line is, when we move into these gospel conversations, we are sharing what is the very best news, life-giving news. And it's not just that we are forgiven for our sins. It's a big part of it. And praise God that we are, because my list is long. But the good news is also, it is that God has not left us just in our forgiveness. This freedom that Marty mentions from John 8, it it, it is in the fact that Christ is redeeming the world. That all of this is being made new. That while the world is still a dark and scary place in a lot of ways, that's not the end of the story. The kingdom is coming. Things are being made new and will ultimately be made completely new. That is the good news. That is what we are communicating, and that is extremely important for us to understand. Jess Ray's song lyrics. Just imagine, as I read this verse, that you're somebody who you might be having a gospel conversation with. You're somebody who doesn't know this good news. You're somebody who life has treated poorly, that has had hard knock after hard knock, and who needs some good news. Jess Ray says, are you weak? Are you poor? Are you wanting for more in the quiet of your heart? To yourself, you say, I wish someone would pass my way and give me a new start. Sweetheart, stop cutting your sweet arms. No hope, smoking dope, drinking your life away. Let's dance and sing. Let's eat from the tree. Come down to the river with me. Because it may be too good to be understood, but it's not too good. To be true. 
Jess Ray is singing about God's love for us, for every one of us, everyone. And yes, it may seem at times and to some too good to be understood. And we can be so easily duped into putting our hope in, in other things that we think may save us that are more easily understood, perhaps. But there comes a time when we will inevitably, ultimately be let down by that which we are hoping for, that which we are putting our stock in. The irony in our story here with Jesus and these two men on the road to Emmaus is, is these men were actually putting their hope in the only place that could satisfy. They knew what they were looking for. They were looking for the Messiah, but they misunderstood They took it as too good to be true, but it may be too good to be understood at times, but it is never too good to be true. And our two friends on the road to Emmaus, they get the grace of having Jesus explain this to them, to show them this by telling them what they already knew in their soul, by telling them God's story. Gosh, I don't want this to seem overwhelming, and I know this is a process, but this is such good news buried in this story right here, that that Jesus does what we believe we are called to do, is to connect our story with God's story, to let the story of Scripture, the story of God's love, we talked about it last week, of the king coming to rescue his people, this good news to be able to share that and tell it. Jesus does that here. The whole of Scripture, including the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament, speaks to Jesus being the Messiah. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the Scriptures. Wow. And this brings us back to our problem, that we don't know our job or how to do it. Too often. This is the same place the Israelites were. They struggled with this problem as well. They were were set apart by God, appointed as God's people, but not set apart for privilege. They were set apart for responsibility, for a job, if we can use that word, to show the world what God was like, to show the world who God is. And their disobedience, time and time again, got in the way of the message clearly being conveyed and how they went about being the people of God. So do you see how important it is for us to hold one another up? For us to encourage one another in this story, in our story, as it connects with God's story. So that we can be faithful. So that we can, in the way that we move about the world and live our lives and do our jobs, so that we can effectively communicate God's story to people who do not know it and who need it so desperately. So let's recap. Although we don't want to make it a formula, we are giving you some steps. We listen to their story, we share our story, and we share God's story. And there are a couple more steps to this that we encourage and teach, and we will go over those next week as we close uh, looking at this story, our time with it. But here we have the building blocks, I believe, for what is the Great Commission, which is our job, our responsibility as those who are following and being formed by Jesus, those who understand that God's story is at times difficult to understand, as evidenced by our friends here on the road to Emmaus. But God meets us right there, and God will use us to meet others right there. It's often the case when someone's life experience put together with God's story 
it will render, it will cause them to feel like this good news is too good to be understood. But God is using us, calling us, and able to work through us in a way to make it clear that it is not too good to be true. Let's pray.